I had to give um, a title to my message this morning, it would be Living a Missional Life. And so, a month ago or so, when I, when I was able to uh, speak with you guys here, I spoke about the, the Ark of God being brought back from Jeru- to Jerusalem by David. And I paralleled that with Acts chapter 9, with the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus, and what that resulted in. And so in Acts chapter 13, we're kind of, we're kind of moving on from th- there. So the background is, Paul has been converted. He's starting to preach all over, and everybody wants to kill him. The Jews in Damascus, the Hellenists in Jerusalem. And then Peter receives a vision from God, showing him that the gospel needs to go to the Gentiles. The gospel then starts to gain traction with the Gentile communities. And then Barnabas is sent to come to Antioch. And on the way, he stops by Tarsus and picks up Saul, who becomes Paul. And they spend quite a bit of time together in Antioch. They're a year there together, and the church starts to use them. There's a famine that goes through the land. The church in Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem. And then they come back, and we pick it up here in Acts chapter 13. So Acts 1 through 12 is kind of Peter's story, Acts like 13 and on. Um, I say on because I'm not exactly sure how many chapters. It's like 22 or 24. So on, okay, is, is, Paul's, is kind of Paul's story with the church. So we'll start reading in Acts chapter 13. Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they went and they sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. This is the John, John Mark, who would end up writing the Gospel of Mark. Um, And they traveled the whole way through the island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. A little background on that. Bar means son. It's the son of a man named Jesus. Jesus was a common name. Uh, Yeshua was a common name uh, in those times. Um, so this man, Bar-Jesus, was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemus, this is, this is confusing a little bit, Elemus is Bar-Jesus. Elemus is a transliteration of the Arabic word for magician. So it's kind of giving him like a, another name here. Elemus the sorcerer, opposed them, and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elemas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right way of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So let's recap the story here. The leaders of the church are fasting and praying. Paul and Barnabas are sent by the Holy Spirit for the gospel to the Gentiles. They arrive at Salamis. Paul goes straight to the synagogue to preach to the Jews. They head to Paphos, which is the capital city of Cyprus and the head of the Roman government there. 
It's also the main place for worship of Aphrodite and Venus for, for the Romans. And Paul is sought by the proconsul to share the message of truth of Jesus, but the sorcerer gets in the way. Paul blinds him. The proconsul believes, and God is victorious. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. So what I want to do this morning, though, is I want to examine what the three people, what the three groups kind of in this story did. The church at Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, and God. And we'll start with the church. The church at Antioch was doing three things that I think are important for Christians and for the church today to do. They were fasting, they were laying hands on one another, and they were worshiping. Fasting, laying on of hands, and worshiping. So we'll start with fasting. Fasting is often connected when fasting, connected with vigilant and passionate prayer. It includes either a loss of desire for food or the purposeful setting aside of eating to concentrate on spiritual issues. We see Daniel do this in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel says this, Then I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So Daniel has this, this desire for something from the Lord. And so in this prayer and supplication, asking for, wanting something, needing something from God, he gets himself in a place where he can hear from the Lord, where he can be focused on the Lord, where he's putting aside the other things in his life, the distractions, so he can be focused on God. Classically, fasting has to do with, with food. I think today, though, we can see fasting as a spiritual discipline in which individuals abstain from food or or other certain pleasures, the things that fill us up or take our minds off of God so that we can devote ourselves fully to prayer, reflection, and communion with God. And it's a special thing, right? When we, when we set aside the things that fill us, when we set aside the things that distract us, and we focus our eyes and our hearts and our minds upon God, when we, when we literally ask, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, when we take that time and we set that time aside, we, we all know that that is a special, special time when we seek God in those moments. You know, Jesus says in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know who can't hunger and thirst for righteousness? People who are full. So if you're full of other things, you can't hunger and thirst for God. You can't hunger and thirst for God when you are full of distractions, full of the things that pull you away from knowing your Savior deeply. So let us together, as individuals and as the body of Christ, put aside the things that distract us more often so that we can focus on hearing the Lord and knowing what the Lord wants from our lives. And it's no surprise, right? It's no surprise that in this moment, when they're fasting and worshiping and laying on hands, that they hear from God. It's not a surprise. And, and they hear clearly because the white noise is moved. The white noise is gone. The distractions are gone. and They're hearing from God. And they hear, we don't know how exactly they hear from the Holy Spirit. Good? Uh -huh. Look, you can't stop us. 
We're doing something, right? Okay. So the Holy Spirit, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit communicates. Presumably it's through one of the prophets. It says in the beginning of, of Acts 13, verse 1, it says that there were prophets, you know, there and elders there. So presumably it's through them that we hear the word of the Lord come to the people. Here's the, the best part of it. When they hear, they respond with obedience. They respond with obedience immediately. They hear the, they hear the Holy Spirit speak, and they are obedient, obedient because they are not distracted. You know, sometimes we're distracted, we're, we're doing this thing with our technology, or we're doing this thing with our job, or we're doing this thing with something else, and we get ourselves distracted, and God is speaking, and it's like, well, just, I'm almost done. You know what I'm saying? My son used to play this video game, and I still play it with him sometimes. <laughs> Confession time. And he used to always say, I'm almost done with this battle. I'll be with you. And it made Nikita just want to like, mmm, boy. You know, it made me want to be that way. And it would just drive me crazy because it's like, no, no, no. Like, the words of your parents are more important than a video game. And the Father in heaven is saying to us, my words are more important than what you have going on, your distractions. So let's listen to the Lord. Let's get rid of some of these distractions. And then we are obedient immediately to what God is calling us because there's nothing else pulling for our attention. So let us, together, individually and as a body of Christ, Focus on what the Lord is calling us to do. May his voice, that's our prayer, that his voice is louder as we lessen our distractions. Okay, so they fasted. The second thing they did is they laid, they laid hands on each other. Now the laying on of hands is special. It gives identity, affirmation, and support to the one who receives it. A month or so ago, I stood up here with Nikita as the elders and Robert and Kim laid hands on us, and I tell you that that's a special, special thing. And you know that it's a special thing if you've ever prayed up front here and someone's laid hands on you. If you've ever been anywhere and someone lays hands on you to pray for you, you know that the person that is with you is affirming you, supporting you, and identifying with you. And it is a beautiful thing as the Holy Spirit works in that touch. In Leviticus chapter 16, we're going to go to Leviticus, okay? Aaron, the high priest, is instructed, is instructed to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it the sins of the Israelites. So he is identifying with the Israelites. He is identifying with the sacrifice. This act symbolizes the transfer of the people's sin to the goat, which this is during the Day of Atonement. And then the goat is sent into the wilderness carrying away the sins, uh, carrying away the iniquities. This ritual highlights the concept of substitutionary atonement. It is a precursor. It is a, a vision into what is to come, or what was to come. That Jesus is the Lamb of God that is the substitutionary atonement. So in the way that he identified with the, the goat, 
We today, if we could reach out and touch the Lord, we would definitely reach out and touch the Lord and identify with the true substitutionary atonement. The one that takes away the sins forever. The one that does all of the work on the cross. His blood is final and our forgiveness is final. We would reach out and touch him. But here's the beauty. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Logos, the Word. We have the Word. We have Christ in our hands. His Word in our hands. His Holy Spirit in our bodies. We don't have to go somewhere or do something. It's right there, and He's ready. He's ready to be received. There's other places in the Old Testament where we see laying on of hands. Patriarchs, in in Genesis 48, Jacob placed his hands on his grandsons Ephraim and Manasseh to bless them. Uh, Moses lays hands on Joshua in Numbers 27 to transfer authority. It was like a successor. And then in, in Numbers 8, we see the Levites consecrated for the work of the temple. They would lay the hands on them as they consecrated the priests. But in the New Testament, we see the new covenant. We see kind of the the fulfilling of this as Jesus lays hands on the people to heal them. That's the first time we see the laying on of hands in the New Testament is is Jesus healing people. If someone's ever prayed for you and someone's ever laid their hands on you, it may not be healing physical ailments as Jesus did, but there is some spiritual healing that is happening when someone lays hands on you, some emotional healing healing that happens when someone lays hands on you. It's a beautiful and special thing as the Holy Spirit works. In Acts and later, it's signified by the affirmation, support, and identification with someone and their ministry. And that's kind of how we use it today. It's a way of saying, when I lay hands on you, and it's a way of saying, I am with you in your ministry as God is with you in your ministry. Like, I affirm your ministry, I am with your ministry, I identify with your ministry, I am in it together because that's how the body of Christ works. We don't do things individually. That was never the plan for the New Testament church. The New Testament is for the church, and we are to do the work of Jesus together. So the third thing they were doing is they were worshiping. So we asked the question, what is worship? I believe worship is this. This is how I've come to understand it. It is the echoing or mirroring back to God his divine attributes. So we were created in God's image, and we were, when we reflect God back to him, we reflect it to the world. And it fulfills my favorite Bible verse, Matthew 5, 16, that let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not because they're seeing us or something that we're doing, but they're seeing the divine attributes of God manifested in his creation. And it's a beautiful thing. And it happens, I think it manifests itself in two ways, through acts of the lips, worship from the lips, and then acts of love with the body, the hands, and the feet. So, So I get that from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips and openly profess his name, openly profess his name. So when people say, my relationship with Jesus is a private thing, you don't need to know anything about it. That's not God's intention or God's plan. 
that we openly profess his name. And then in verse 16, it says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. This is the acts of the body. So the acts of the lips and the acts of the body. For such sacrifice, God is pleased. Now, both these verses start with and end with the word sacrifice. We will only sacrifice when we understand the value of that to which we offer our sacrifice. So we may sacrifice the things that we don't value. Somebody may ask you to come volunteer at something, and you may be like, I can give you an hour. Okay, I'll show up, I'll be there. I'll work in the snack shack. I'll do, I'll do whatever, right? Like, I'll, I'll be there, I'll show up, and I'll do it. But another way of saying that is the measure of our sacrifice is related to how much we value that to which we sacrifice. So how we worship depends on a right spiritual, emotional, affectional heart grasp of God's worth. But here's the beautiful, beautiful part of this. His worth is infinite. His worth, his value is infinite. True worship is a valuing or treasuring God above all things. And the church at Antioch did that. The church at Antioch was a perfect example of that. The church at Antioch had Paul and Barnabas with them. Now look, if Paul and Barnabas were like ministry leaders at our church... We would do everything to keep Paul and Barnabas, right? If like Paul and Barnabas are doing this work, I mean, because we know what Paul and Barnabas are capable of, right? So if Paul and Barnabas are here, we're like, no, nah, man, you're Calvary Chapel East Side for life. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to keep these guys. But hopefully, hopefully we would be just like the church at Antioch. When God says, no, it's time for them to go, that we release them with open hands to do the work of the gospel. See, the church at Antioch valued God, more than they valued people. They valued God more than they valued growth. And so, because of that, they're blessed. And because of that, the people that they send out are blessed. You know, Abraham's another perfect example of this, right? I mean, Abraham is sitting, living in Ur of the Chaldeans. He's just living his life, doing his thing, and God is like, hey, I choose you. And Abraham's like, what? What? Me? You know? And then and then God does amazing things. God starts to give him promises. And so, so he starts to value God more than he values what he had. And it causes him to move. It causes him to step out and walk in faith. And then God says, okay, I'm going to give you a son. And through that son, I'm going to bless everybody. And then God says, uh, now I'm going to take that son. But Abraham values God more than he values his son. He values the promiser more than the promise. And he knows that if the promiser promised something, he's going to fulfill the thing because I value him. I know his worth. I know his value. I know who he is. He's going to do something. He's going to resurrect my son. He's going to do something. And you know, in that region, he resurrects his own son later. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that Abraham goes to take Isaac up up the mountain in the region of Moriah. And then we see later that Jesus in the region of Moriah on a mountain splits the veil of the temple, separating the Holy of Holies 
So now that we have a perfect mediator between God and man, we have a perfect Savior in Christ Jesus. And he does that because he is infinitely valuable. So a summary of worship, I would write it like this. The inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart by valuing, treasuring, prizing, and enjoying God being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, joyful satisfaction in God, it overflows. See, when you're, it, it overflows in clear acts of worship with the mouth and clear acts of service with the body. But if we're, if we're filled with other things, if we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, like in the Beatitudes, If we're filled with other things, then we overflow and some of it's worship and some of it's not. Part of our life is worship and part of our life is, you know, just other things. When every piece of us should be worship overflowing. When we value God properly, when we see his infinite value and worth, then what overflows from us is pure worship to an awesome God. Paul and Barnabas actually worship in this way and we see it. They value God in a way that they are willing to put their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, and in Romans here, Paul is longing to be with the Romans. He wants to be with them, to see them. He ends up seeing them in chains. But, but now he's writing to them and he says, I appeal to you. And this word appeal is like, it's like a, it's so much, it's so much more than like, hey, I'm asking you to do this thing. No, it's like, I'm on my knees. I'm like begging you to do this thing. Please do this thing. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship. I know we don't know who wrote the the book of Hebrews, but it's interesting here that it kind of echoes Hebrews the spiritual service of worship. Some people think that Paul wrote Hebrews. This kind of lends towards that thought. But who knows? What we do know is that the Lord wrote it. Paul traveled over 10,000 miles by foot and by ship on his missionary journeys. Over 10,000 miles. And this is the very start of it. In verse 4 in chapter 13, the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Now, Paul had established um, this method when he got into new towns. He would first go to the synagogues uh, to preach the truth of Jesus. He did this for two reasons. One is, it was his right as a Jewish male to be able to go to the synagogues and preach the truth. So if you ever have a chance to preach the truth and the people have to listen to you, like, go for it, <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's the moral of the story there. People, people have to listen, here you go. Jesus, crucified, resurrected, heaven, bam. We just give it to him. It's a beautiful thing. The second reason is if Paul would have gone into the, if Paul would have gone into the cities and preached to the Gentiles first, the Jews never would have listened to him. They would have been offended. They wouldn't have trusted him. 
he never would have had a chance to share. Now, even though he's sharing in the synagogues, it doesn't mean that they're always listening. Paul, multiple times, is stoned. One time, they thought he was dead and dragged his body out of the city. But Paul and Barnabas are doing the Lord's work, and they continue to do the Lord's work. So much so that they are sought out by this proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, which means he was a Roman official who served as the provincial governor. He seeks out, he seeks them out. You know, sometimes this happens. Sometimes you're doing the work of the Lord. Sometimes you're sharing the truth of the gospel. Sometimes you're doing what God has called you to do, and people seek you out to hear more about what's going on. You know, it's kind of how I ended up here today. You know, about a year ago, I was in this room right here next to us. Uh, I think they call it the green room. Um, it's filled with M&Ms and like, uh, you know, uh, drinks, you know. We hang out in there before we preach. Um, I'm joking. But it is something I would like to work in to. Uh, only, only green M&Ms. Um, so in this room right here, and Dan Nelson is in there, and Dan Nelson, what a great, what a great dude, uh, right? Such a blessing to our church. Um, and he's in there, and he's doing some work. He's hanging up some wood. He's hanging up some things that they can hang the mic stands. You know, there's, you know, we're here. IRC is here. The school is here. It's starting to like kind of get messy in there, and he's in there just doing the work. And and I have now been at Calvary Chapel for a year and a half, seeing the work of the Lord, seeing the people do the work of the Lord, seeing Awana, seeing Sunday morning services, seeing the Bible study stuff happening, seeing what God is doing, seeing Road to Bethlehem, seeing all these things happen. And, and I, like Sergius Paulus, kind of like go to Dan and I'm like, so what's up, man? Do you need someone else to come along? Like, can I get in on this? And he's like, yeah, like, here's Robert's phone number. And so here we are. Because of the work that we do sometimes, because of the, 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 the way we step out in faith, the way we live our lives out, the way we fulfill that Matthew 5.16, the letting our light shine, that sometimes people will just come to us and be like, hey, like, tell me more. I want to be a part of this. I thank God that us as a church that we're doing those things. It brought me here today, and I'm blessed for it. You know, we should pray about just about everything we do in our lives. Just about everything that we do in our lives, we should pray about. But if someone asks you to know more about Jesus, you don't need to pray about it. You need to put on your Nikes and just do it. That's a good one. Yeah. I, I was expecting, oh. Yeah, there you go. Look, God never promised a burning bush. He didn't promise Moses a burning bush. He doesn't promise us a burning bush. But you know what he does promise is he promises abundant life. And so we don't wait. When, when things are obvious, when it's obvious to share the truth of Jesus, we don't wait. We just share the truth of Jesus. There's never not a time to share the truth of Jesus, especially if somebody comes to you and says, hey, tell me more about this you know, Jesus guy. 
It's time to do it. That's the moment. You don't need to go home and pray. You know, this doesn't mean that the enemy isn't going to try to stop it. That the enemy's not going to try to get in the way, like Elymas here, the sorcerer, trying to get in the way of keeping the proconsul from the faith. The magician was able to keep him away for a short time, but Paul does this, Paul and Barnabas do this, they persist, which is sacrifice, which is worship. So they sacrifice for Christ, they continue. They could have been turned away by this sorcerer guy, and they could have said, okay, we're done here, let's go to somewhere else and share the truth over here, but they persist. They persist in a way where, where Paul believes that a miracle is going to happen, and the miracle happens. And so it's a beautiful thing. They persist, God works a miracle, and the proconsul is saved. You know, I used to do some open-air evangelism back in the day. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort, the great evangelist. Um, but the, the girl who, who helped lead me to Christ in college, she's actually married to one of Ray's sons. Um, and so one of the churches I went to, a Calvary Chapel down in Bellflower, California, is where Ray goes to church, and they would do open-air evangelism down at, like, Newport Beach and Huntington Beach, uh, which was my kind of stomping grounds. Um, <clears throat> used to go to Calvary Costa Mesa down there with Chuck and Greg Laurie on Monday nights, and so I was, like, all about, like, all right, let's go down. And so, so Ray Comfort would get up, and he, you know, just, I mean, he just brought it, right? Like, you know, have you ever done this? Then you're this. And you're like, you know, have you, ever, have you lied? You're a liar. Have you ever stolen? You're a thief. You know, we all need Jesus. And he's just going. And I'm like in the back. I'm just like, what do you think? <laughs> you know, just asking guys like, hey, you got any questions? You know, like I was like picking off the guys in the back, you know, that were like, that weren't going to like scream back at Ray. And so, so I would talk to these guys, but there was always like, a buddy, not always, but there's always a buddy that's like, man, this is all, you know, bull, and this is, a, and I was like, I just wanted to be like Paul and be like, blind, you know, like, or, you know, mute. I just wanted, I wish I had that power that Paul had in that moment, because we would have done some work. I would have gone to jail. I would have gone, for sure. I'd have been blinding people left and right, like, you, God. Okay, But we still saw people come to know Jesus as Savior because we were faithful, because we persisted, because we sacrificed, because we worshiped. And we saw people come to know the Lord all the time. You see, that's God's plan for the church. And that's God's plan for the Christian life. We worship, God works a miracle, and people are saved. That's, that's the plan. That's the plan. And, and you know what? Every time someone's saved, it's a miracle. Like the song that we, we, we sang this morning, he turns graves to gardens, bones into armies and seas into highways, and he is the only one who can. That's it. So we worship, we just offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We offer our bodies as a missional work for the kingdom of God, and God works through us. It's not because we're great, or it's not because we did something special, it's because that Jesus has loved us enough and cared for us enough to allow us to walk with him in this journey. So let's do it. Let's do that thing. Let's worship in a way that is missional. You know, people try to make it more difficult, spending years waiting to do the work of God because they never saw the burning bush. But you know this abundant life that he promises? It isn't for people who sit and watch 
is for people that live a life that is a living sacrifice. So there's eternal life. We have eternal life in Christ. And there's abundant life that comes from walking with him. Sometimes God's direction for your life is clear and sometimes it's not. You know what is clear? That we are charged to worship and glorify God with everything we have and all that we do. I hear preachers say sometimes, you know, well, it doesn't matter if you're in the White House, or then they try to pick like something that, that, that they, they feel is like some like the lowest of jobs. And I'm not going to do that because I think that's offensive. First off, if you have that job. And second off, who cares what job you have? The job is the means of which you fulfill the mission. Everything we do in our life is a mission field. So we are purpose-driven in what we do. So it doesn't matter if you're in the White House. It doesn't matter if you have any other jobs. It doesn't matter where you're at. We are called to worship and glorify God and be the best at whatever we do so that they see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So 1 Corinthians 15 says this, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So the question is this, are you ready to live a Romans 12 life? Are you ready to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice in the missional work that is before us? Because look around. You know, a lot of people want to look to like Seattle. I was, we were praying this morning. A lot of people want to look to Seattle and see like, you know, the homeless stuff that's going on and the depravity that's going on. But you know, right in our backyard, we have people that are comfortable because they think that their wealth and their, their solid job and all this is enough for them. But what they don't know is they're a grave that needs to turn into a garden. And maybe you're in that place today. Maybe you've come here today and you're like, you know, I've just kind of been doing it. Just kind of going through the motions. I haven't been living a missional life. I want to challenge you today to make today that you start to live your life as a mission for God. Because it happens in two ways. It happens individually and it happens as the body of Christ. We do it as individuals and we do it as a church. And that is how our region, that is how Lakemont, Bellevue, Issaquah, this area, that is how this area has changed for Jesus. It's through individuals and the body of Christ. So I want to challenge you this morning. If you have yet to say that to God, maybe you've been walking with God for a long time. Maybe you've loved Jesus for a long time. But your life hasn't been missional. And today you're ready to make your life missional. I want to challenge you to pray that to God today. And look, this isn't a long prayer. It's God, I'm ready to be missional for you. I'm missional, God. Today I'm missional. And then as a church, we do that together. So the worship team is going to come up after I pray. We're going to do communion. We have communion at all these stations here. If you're at home... Grab some bread and some juice. Do your communion with us. But as we do our communion, I want to fulfill what the church at Antioch did. So if you feel like today you're saying to God, and it's been a while, and you've been saying to God now, God, I'm living missionally for you. I want to be aligned with your mission. 
We want to be aligned with your mission. So if, if you come up, we'll be in this area up here. I'm going to ask for like a couple of uh, like ministry leaders, maybe elders to come up to. And if you, if you want someone to pray with you and just say, God, I'm missional now. Today I'm missional. And as a church, we affirm that together. Because as a church, we identify with each other. We affirm each other, and we are in the ministry together. Your ministry doesn't leave here and become your ministry. It's our ministry. It's all our ministry. We are the body of Christ. So I'm going to pray, and I ask that God would do a work in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we get to be a part of something. And that something is your church. Your plan for the new covenant through the blood of Jesus that covers our sins was to be a part of the church. And so, Lord, as individuals that become part of a collective body, may we see this and understand that this is not something that is done alone, but is done through your power and through the power of the collective body of Christ. So Lord, today, if there are people who don't know Christ, I ask that this is the time, or that they realize that right now, this is the time to give their lives to Jesus, repent of our sins, and follow him because he is Savior. I pray that the Holy Spirit would overwhelm their heart in this moment, Lord, and that they would know the truth of Christ. And Lord, for those who are looking forward to a missional life, a life that together with the body of Christ changes our region. Lord, I pray that they would pray that right now. God, right now I live for you. Right now, Lord, I am missional for you. Because God, I know that's what you're calling me to be. Like Paul and Barnabas taking the gospel to the Gentiles, that we would be a church and a body of believers that would take the gospel to our region. Lord, change it one heart at a time. You're an awesome God. It is only through you that the graves can become gardens. Only you that can make the bones into armies. And Lord, we pray that you would turn the bones of this region into the army of the Lord. Change us, God. Amen.